Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Booze and Boops podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Katrina. Thanks for joining us today as we talk about some of our favorite horror movies. We created this podcast as a way to give women more of a voice in horror. Men dominate most industries, especially film and television. And that also goes for podcasts. We'll focus on female characters, motivations, or just expectations placed on women in horror, even if the situation is happening to a man. We're excited you're here and we hope you love it. Now let's get to today's movie. It's summer. It's pride. It's sleepaway camp. Considered this uh, like tons of kids running off of a bus and they're all so excited. Woo! Sleepaway camp. Nobody is this excited for summer camp. I just, nobody yeah, I mean they're just really excited to leave their parents maybe and maybe the parents are really excited for them to leave well, well some of them left for good yep my I did ask my dad I was like do like did parents just send their kids away to summer camp to get rid of them during like while school was not in they like he's like yeah pretty much I think so it wasn't me I was I, he was like I don't think you ever, I said I went to church camp like twice that's it I went to church camp but my mom was the children's pastor so I was just with my mom yeah so we're going to talk about sleepaway camp from 1983 written and directed by Robert Hiltzik Katrina and I talked about this about how we should conduct like the format of this episode um, so we agreed we're going to do just like a really quick summary. So if you have not seen Sleepaway Camp, stop now if you don't want any spoilers because we're just going to spoil it right at the beginning. And then we're going to go through it. That way we'll be able to connect what happens at the end all the way throughout. So I had actually never seen Sleepaway Camp before this. So this movie was new to me. Instead of a summary, maybe we just do like the disclaimer of like... The quick summary of Sleepaway Camp is a brother and sister uh a young brother and sister are boating with their dad and the boy and the dad um, are accidentally killed in a boating accident girl and the dad we're giving it away we're giving it away at the end oh you could say a child if you child but the quick summary of sleepaway camp is Two young children, a boy and a girl, are boating with their dad, and one of the children and the dad are accidentally killed in a boating accident. Eight years later, it's revealed that Angela, the young girl, survived the accident and is now living with her aunt and her cousin, Ricky. Ricky and Angela go to summer camp, where Ricky has been there before, Angela has never been, and she is bullied pretty much the entire time that she's there for various quirks that she has. Or doesn't have, I guess. There is a lot of murder that goes on. Some pretty gruesome murders, too. Uh, Great for 1983. Uh, And at the end, it is revealed that Angela has been the murderer the whole time. But the extra special twist of Sleepaway Camp is that it's revealed that Angela was actually the child killed in the boating accident. And Peter, the son, had survived. But... Aunt Martha 
decided that it wasn't appropriate to have two boys in the house and she always wanted a little girl. So she forced Peter to live as Angela for the rest of his life. And Angela is Peter and Angela is a boy. And then the movie just ends right there. So for the purpose of commentary on Sleepaway Camp, we will refer to Angela as Angela and as she for this episode. Yeah, because during the movie, she is being Angela. I say we can probably just get right into it. I got a lot to say, so let's go. Okay. The opening credit scene of Sleepaway Camp is credits over what looks to be the fall at a summer camp. There are voices overheard in different areas like the mess hall, volleyball, basketball courts, things like that of children. And then at the very end, as it's tracking over the entire location, we see that what is Camp Arawak is now for sale. And that's all we're left with. So we're, my question I would like to know is, were they setting this like it's like a flash forward? Like after the events of the movie, it's only like the hauntings and the ghosts of children's mm-hmm. of summer camp past that right. live there while the camp is for sale because it's like fall time. So like summer camp is over. I would say that it's like, yeah, the after effect of everything that he had to sell it, close it down. Cause there was even like a sheriff's warning on like, well, the... Mel's dead. Yeah. So I'm guessing his family, if he had any, I mean, it doesn't sound like he really had any, didn't want it. Me neither. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. No, thank you. Honestly, I kind of identify with Mel in this movie a little bit and I should not admit that, but do a little. So after the opening credits, we flash back to a father, son, and daughter on a small little sailboat. You know, the dad is trying to relax. And of course, the children think that they need to fight and be annoying and play pranks. I will say when I first started watching this movie and they started talking, I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. Because it's like that New York 80s, like, father, like... You know, when the kids are fighting and little Angela's like, he started it. I love it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So once I got into the movie, I was like, all right, I can handle this. Um, So we cut to Craig and Mary Ann on the boat with a skier behind them. And Mary Ann is trying to get Craig to like, oh, let me drive. Yeah, I think that they're campers from like the camp across the lake. So what is... The sleepaway camp, and then the bakers. So John is the dad. Mm-hmm. Peter and Angela are the little kids. I think that like they're just all at the lake, and then like it's like the family just seeing the campers across the lake, and then yeah, because they do just... ask like, can we go to summer camp and learn that one day? And he's like, oh maybe, which I'm like, oh, maybe they shouldn't. Well, fate has a way. Yeah. So the kids prank their dad by pushing him into the water. And he seems like a good dad because he's like not even angry about it. And you little schemers. Yeah. They're like they're like playing in the water. We switch back to Craig and Marianne. Craig gives in. And I I made a note. I was like, pretty eyes and boobs will get you will get you far in life. 
do a lot of things. Yeah, so now that Marianne can drive the little boat. Yeah. The girl yeah. who's, like, water skiing, she's not having a good time. She's like, no. can we stop now? Can we? I'm done. But Craig and Marianne can't hear her, really. They're just no. like, yeah, you're doing it. Yeah, and so she, like, is yelling back, like, why? Like, she's trying to talk to the skier, not paying attention to where she's going, and neither is Craig. And ends up, it's it's kind of drawn out, but basically, Marianne runs over the boat, kills the dad and the child. And we see one child, like, with their floating device, like, chilling. But before that, we, they talk about um, Dr. Thomas um is coming which is aunt martha but we also see the there's a man on the beach who's like devastated by what he saw which was actually the father's lover boy and like they were laughing and giggling about it but it was cute oh did you want to talk about the to your point where i don't know the name of the man who's on the beach who's like john's lover but they're obviously together. So whether it's like John's children, Angela and Peter, and mystery lover man. I don't know if it's like, you know, they. I don't think that they adopted. I think that those are John's kids. And I think that Dr. Thomas slash Aunt Martha is John's sister. Right. That's kind of how they make it seem. So, and, and it seems like from this, you know, very quick first scene is that they've got a good family like they're gay they're just living their lives they got kids mm -hmm. they're on the summer they're having fun and then the family's gonna come one of the kids asks if ricky is coming john says no ricky is with his dad so we can get that there's a little bit of familial drama like in the connecting side but yeah how you mentioned marianne unfortunately uh drove the boat over john the dad and angela are actually killed in the boating accident and peter has survived but we don't know that we cut to eight years later into a really nice house and aunt martha is calling down ricky and angela to get them ready to get on the bus to go to summer camp can i just say that I hate the way that Aunt Martha talks. And she did that sing song, like come down thing. I hated every minute of it. And I've hated her since the moment she opened her mouth. Like, I have a problem when people have a problem with this character. I, I, I get that, like, she's acting different. But then I'm like, hello this is the whole point so she's just right. acting i hate when people say it's a bad performance she's a bad character is she like enjoyable and i want to spend all my time with her no but she is absolutely essential and if we didn't see some weirdness from her in the beginning with like some kind of like talking to herself and having to tie the string around her finger and her weird incantations of her speech cadence how would we get at all what has happened because of her which and i i agree with that i just hate her as a person who she is like like the mother that sings the words that they're saying and like oh 
I wonder. And I was like, I would hate for this to be my mother. That's basically what I was thinking. It's like, no. But if that was summer camp forever. If but if that was your mother and if you were used to it, it's just how it would be. Yeah. It was like, oh my mom's a little quirky. And so Aunt Martha is saying, like, you know, she packs some snacks for the drive up to their summer camp. Aunt Martha says that she created the physicals for the kids to go to summer camp. So Aunt Martha has <laughs> doctored the physicals. And we don't know why she's saying, don't tell anyone where you got these physicals done, even though they know I'm a doctor. So it's just a weird, it's a weird thing to yeah. say, because if you're a doctor, shouldn't everything matter? be fine? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Aunt Martha tells Ricky to take care of my little girl. And Ricky, he's yeah. over his mom. He's like, okay, can we just go now? Goodbye, mom. Yeah, he's ready to be gone. And Angela doesn't speak. She's just there. And I don't think it's very noticeable in the first scene where we see, what, like, 13-year-old Angela? Yeah, she she just seems like she's just, like, tired and shy and awkward. Like, she doesn't seem like there's anything, like, wrong with her. She pro- It looks like she doesn't really like Aunt Martha, but that's probably true. That might be true. Uh, one thing I have to mention is they have, like, the tiniest little bags with them if they're supposed to be going to summer camp for however many weeks. I would like to assume that maybe their suitcases and everything were already outside. I don't know if they were getting driven to wherever the bus was picking them up or if the bus was picking them up right there. Yeah, there was not a summer's worth of clothes or shoes or a baseball glove. Like, those bags were so small. Yeah, they were so tiny. I, that's one of the things about this being a low-budget movie. It's like, how much of this was by design or by budget? Right. So in this next scene, I was just, ugh. We see all these buses pulling up to the camp and just children full-out sprinting. And I'm like, for what? Oh, Mel and Ronnie are still yelling at them. All these children are literally sprinting off these buses while Mel, who is the owner of the camp, and Ronnie, who's one of the counselors, are telling them to, like, hurry up, get there, like, go faster. And I'm like, I don't think they physically can. Like, these children I love this, like, little scene. So, like, we're getting the introduction to the camp and the counselors and, like, our main players that we're going to see. Yeah, you're right. These kids are just, they're running. They're running like crazy. And I feel like Ronnie, like he's got his little clipboard and he's like, okay, like this name, you go to this cabin, this area, this direction, you're on this team. And Mel's just like, let's go. We don't have all day. We're burning daylight. Like, it's kind of just like a funny, <laughs> I think it's just funny because yeah. Mel overall, I would say like, is not a good guy, but he is an enjoyable, entertaining character because of the way he talks. I would like to assume that if you own a summer camp and you're involved, as I believe that he is, like, there is, like, some kind of gentle quality about him for kids. I mean, he very much is driven by the money that he's making mm-hmm. on this, for sure. But I think that it's funny that he's out there and he's like, we're burning daylight. Like, I didn't get, like, an ick from him 
just then. I thought it was funny, Ronnie being yeah. like, this is the rules, and like, here's yeah. what we're setting out. And Bell's just like, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. he's like, just move, move. Like, it, like he's it. ready to get started. But then we get a glimpse of the kitchen staff, which we hate. Ew. Instantly, before he even spoke, what was his name? Artie. Artie. Before Artie, the head cook, even spoke, hated him. Hated. And he makes some disgusting comments about all the children. Basically saying, young, fresh chicken, like, we call them baldies, and no such thing as too young. And the other kitchen staff, like, aren't calling him out on being disgusting either. Like, no. they're just allowing it the only other one who talks is ben who is robert earl jones who is james earl jones's father so we got in 1983 the father of mufasa and darth vader is laughing (laughs) along about probably very widely known child abuse and it's it's the context of the movie it's gross it's awful it's terrible but that's also like the point is that it's terrible right it's meant to be and what happens is well deserved and i'm fine with it i think he could have gotten it worse honestly i think they could have done more to him but also i was part of me also thought like maybe the kitchen staff is concerned that if they like stand up to Artie, that he'll like tell Mel he needs replacements because he is the head cook. I don't know how much power he truly yields in the kitchen. I feel like that's a fair assessment, though, just in the way that well, and power it is dynamics the 80s, go. And it is the 80s, and all the rest of the kitchen staff are people of color. So I'm like, when they're in that whole, like, who are you going to believe? More than likely, Mel is going to believe Artie. We go over to Ricky, who is introducing Angela to his friend, Paul, who they've gone to camp with before, or Ricky had gone to camp with before. Angela's shy. Um, He says that it's Angela's first time away from home. And I'm wondering, in the eight years, is this the first time that Aunt Martha has let Angela, like, out on her own into the world? I feel like it's a fair thing that maybe you haven't gone to sleepaway camp or to like big trips away from home before you're 13 well that's true and also it's potential that like aunt martha is nervous that you know if she hasn't conditioned angela properly enough that she'll either revert or tell somebody or talk to somebody about something i feel like the abuse has gotten as far as it's gonna get right for Angela yeah because that's also the thing I I think that from what we know of Aunt Martha so far she just seems weird and would not Mm -hmm. describe what is happening as abuse so because she's delusional and then Angela's I mean it's a fair (coughs) trauma response that people pretty much go nonverbal yeah Everyone Absolutely. attributes it to being quiet and shy, mm-hmm. but we'll find out everything. Yeah. So, well, and then Paul's Ricky totally said, fine with 
Angela just being Angela. He's just like, hi. And then he tells Ricky, he's like, have you seen Judy yet? Ricky says no. And then Paul like holds his hands out over his chest. And he's like, man, oh man. Like her boobs got big. And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. This is like the summer trope for like yep. kids for sure. Yeah, this is like summer love. Get what you can while you while it's hot and then go back home. Um, so Ricky gives Angela a tour and during that tour Judy he sees her and he's like hey Judy and she blows him off because she's talking to the older guys because they're probably Ricky and Judy are around the same age I'm assuming but Judy obviously has advanced because don't you know that girls mature faster than boys and that's really the first like interaction we see with Judy, and I also hated her as well. Oh, like, see, and I she I loved her. I love the character of Judy. Um, so yeah, like she, Judy and Ricky, according to Ricky, were steadies last uh -huh. year. So I think because Angela and Judy are also in the same bunk, um, they they're probably within like a year or two of each other in age. So if we know that Angela is 13 and Ricky has been going to that camp for at least three years, according to Paul, that he's, I mean, cause there are, there are young kids at that camp too. Yeah. So he could be anywhere from 14 to 15. I wouldn't say that he's yeah, 16. He's I don't no. I don't know even that he's 15, so maybe he's just a year older than her. But then that also begs the question of if Angela has lived with Ricky and Aunt Martha since she was five, and if Ricky is a year older, let's say that he's currently 14, that means that he started going to that camp when he was 11. So then why would Angela have not been able to go? Hmm. Unless it's just a plot point that Ricky's there and he has a relationship with these other characters just so we can move on. Yeah, and maybe Angela refused to go before and this is the first time she accepted. So maybe That's... she wasn't... I mean, she's not really a social butterfly. Also yeah. a very good point. We don't know. It's just what's happening. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's really nice and that Ricky is a good cousin brother because he's like being... You know, trying to make sure she feels comfortable. Like, hey, I'm going to be in this bunk if you need anything. Like, he seems genuine. Like, he does care about Angela. Oh, and yeah. And he does, like, he, like, throughout this movie is, like, defending her, like, left and fighting right. for her tooth and nail the whole way. That's one thing uh, that I do really like about this movie. And um, I mean, besides the fact that, like, they're all kids. Like, they uh -huh. are children in this. It's not like it's the new Friday the 13th where everyone's obviously like 25 and then playing like they're 17 years old. Like these yeah. are kid kids with a very heavy subject material across the board. But according to all the kids, like, I mean, I love sleepaway camp. So I've watched like every documentary and interview thing about it. So like everybody says, um, except for Jonathan Tierston who played Ricky, that this was such a good time for them. They loved being able to play these characters. They loved being able to like, you get the summer camp feeling when you're working on a production. And, and I have a, a background working in like film and television and stuff like that. Nothing major, but it is really fun. Like when you're on like your own project, it's just 
you know, everything's about the project. Everything's about what you're doing that day. You build your relationships with the people that you're working with. And it's just really fun like that. So it's great that the kids mostly had that experience. It's it's unfortunate yeah. um, from what Jonathan Tierston has said that it was really, really a struggle for him. But his performance was fantastic. I think yeah. it was great. So we finally get into the bunk. And I have to say that these like bunk cabin houses look like houses like from the outside I'm like is this just like a whole condo but no it's just a cabin so it seemed a little fancy to me for the 80s but Mel must have been getting his money in my opinion well I think that stuff used to look like actual residences and and dwelling places until like crazy capitalism got into it because they have like they have their bunks set up which I mean there's like what eight or ten of them in there like bunks just on like the opposite side of each other Mm -hmm. and then they had like a shower room and like a shower room that looked like it had at least stalls yeah like three or four Mm -hmm. stalls maybe it looked like when you walk from the bunk space like into the bathrooms and stuff that there's like a separate like toilet stall area it looked like the other side might have had more of a closet Mm -hmm thing because they had like dressers and stuff for your folding clothes they had like shelves for your supplies and activities yeah. like this was like yeah it was fully set up like ready for people to be able to live there for right. days at a time weeks um so we finally meet meg and Susie, the counselors that are going to be in charge of angela's bunk and judy's and meg introduced <clears throat> when she first introduced herself she's like my the name's meg m-e-j i liked her and then i found out that she's a pick me girl like judy and i didn't like her anymore um i did start out liking Meg, but then she got abusive and i didn't like her anymore but this is where we see angela actually be a little bit more awkward than shy um so angela is like silently staring at judy and then, um, like, Judy's kind of like, what the fuck are you looking at? And Susie goes up to her and is like, Meg, this is the one that, like, Ronnie mentioned her. Like, it's not good when the counselors have to give, like, a pre-talk about you. Like, this is the shy one or the weird one. I don't yeah, know. it's definitely something to very subtly let us know, like, there's something else. Mm-hmm. kind of going on I think what we're meant to believe on the first watch of this is that hey Angela comes from like a horrible tragic family accident right. on this lake so yeah. let's be a little gentler to her because the the first time watching this I did think like oh she's still traumatized like I doubt she'll even touch water because, you know, it was a tragedy on the water, that water. Um, I wondered if... Now, Angela does... Is Angela looking at Judy in, like, awe? In, like, I want to be here, I want to be with her? Like, why is she staring at Judy? Or is it because she knows that Ricky and her were, like, dating last month or last year? I think it's a little mix of everything. I think that 
Judy has been established as like the it girl mm-hmm. for the deal. And I feel like it's not uncommon for girls to want to study that. I think having knowledge of a history with her cousin and then also seeing Judy be mean to her cousin and then be right. mean to her triggers like, I don't like you. Yeah, it's the, I don't like you, but also like study, if she hasn't been around girls like that, it's like watching girls to see like, what are girls like, you know, in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, she has Aunt Martha as an example. That's not a good example. Aunt Martha is also a grown woman. Right. So not a probably, we don't know anything about school if Angela goes to public school or not. So, yeah, this could be the first opportunity where she's around, you know, pubescent girls. Mm-hmm. So after the awkward interaction with Angela and Judy, we go to the cafeteria, which is like a big, like... Like a mess it's hall. Like, yeah, it's just like a big mess hall. And Meg, and Ron, Meg goes up to Ronnie and Mel, and she's talking to them about Angela's not eating. We can't hear anything. But then as Meg leaves we see mel smack her ass and i did not want to see that the first time around and but i was like the second time around i was like "Mm, she wasn't even mad about that so we go to the cafeteria which looks like a giant mess hall really where all the kids are eating and we see meg go up to ronnie and mel um to talk to them and as meg is leaving to go back to angela mel smacks her on the ass and she's not mad about it so mel yeah mel and ronnie are meg come up oh sorry meg and ronnie come up to angela and meg's like look she's not she hasn't eaten anything since she's been here and ronnie like gets down on her level actually talks to her like a person is like hey why don't we go try to find you something to eat so he takes her ronnie takes uh angela to the kitchen to go see gross ass artie about you know something that she might like and I know Ronnie's- I like when Ronnie went in there and he's like because Artie's like what's the problem and Ronnie's like there's a problem she doesn't like your food <laughs> I'm like if somebody <laughs> came and said that to my face I would cry um so- now we get into um Katrina's naming of the scenes so <laughs> well the last I don't even know if I did the last one did I oh no my screen is frozen hold on Oh, yeah. No, I didn't get anything. I didn't get... Um, we head into Cafe Del Nasty, <laughs> which is Artie. So Ronnie brings in Angela, says, your food's not good. We need to find you something to eat that she will eat. And then somebody says, hey, Ronnie, you got a call with Meg. So Ronnie leaves Angela alone with Artie. And he's like, come on back here. Like puts his arm around her. Don't touch people puts his arm around her and it's like maybe there's something in the walk-in we can find ah i just so we see angela go into the walk-in with Artie, and then we go back to the cafeteria and we see ricky who's looking for angela well thankfully and they're like oh they took her to the kitchen so then we go back Artie is like unbuckling his pants when ricky walks in He's like, hey, what are you doing? You know, Artie pushes him up against the box. He's like, you didn't say nothing. And is all mad. 
they run out and what okay why Artie didn't buckle his pants before leaving I don't know why but the kids run away Ben sees them and Mel I think right yeah I think Mel is in there yeah so the kids leave Ben and Mel are like what just happened he's like, oh I think I scared him and was like buckling his pants bag and Ben knows like Ben is obviously aware but Mel I don't think does because Mel looks suspicious <clears throat> yeah Mel because yeah you're right the kids run right past Ben and Mel and Artie says like I think I scared them and Mel's just like looking yeah it, it wouldn't Depending on how much Mel saw or didn't see that we did see, maybe he didn't see like the belt buckling or anything. We, I mean, we don't truly know. Have, but yeah. I don't think that Mel would have um, supported child abuse like that. But no, we don't really even get an opportunity to find out because not really. The next scene is we just see Artie and Ben getting ready to make dinner and stuff. And I had the thought, too. It's like, if you're a cook at a summer camp, like, you're always cooking. You're always, always. getting something ready. Like, the counselors or the activities leaders or probably anything else, they have, like, a break time. But when you're a cook at a summer camp where there are a bunch of kids... You're cooking yeah. constantly, 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 constantly. And everybody okay. makes, oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, and this, the pot that comes up in this next scene, I've never seen a pot that tall. How do you even get water to boil in that thing? Is what I, I want to know. Oh my gosh. See, Katrina, you're pulling out every like comment about this movie that everybody makes. And I don't understand it. Like, where is, I mean, I. It's comically large. It's an industrial sized pot because they're cooking for 86 billion children. Which I understand, but I've seen this movie twice in the movie theater. There's a local theater near me um, that does like summer scary movies or Friday night frights or whatever. So I've I've seen this movie every time it's in there because I really enjoy this movie. And everybody, like, this is a, uh, pardon the pun, a campy movie. Like, there are the editing is not perfect. Like, there's long cuts of things when it should just be, like, action, action, action. Um, some of the right. dialogue is really rickety. I get that. But the amount of people who can't, like, just sit and, like, take a movie seriously for what it is, it just drives me up the wall. And it's like, oh, it's a giant pot. And I'm like, of course it's a giant pot. Why... Why wouldn't it be a giant pot? That's why they were checking to see if it was boiling. Everything makes sense for what they're doing. Like, I think that this movie, for what it is, is very tight. I think, especially once you've seen it more than once, like, so many things all fall into place. I think the character performances are very intense. Katrina's looking away from me because I'm going off on, like, an autistic rant no, right I'm now. I'm I'm reading my note. But no, I, I understand, but... I understand the size of the pot because there are so many children. I'm just saying I've never seen one that big. You've never and been a cook for six billion kids. No. And I'm sure there's other things that I've like 
never gonna see but it's just like that's a big pot but it, it's just it's just something that, like, like takes people out of the movie to like make them think about it and i'm like this does not compute to me like i'm like yes absolutely this makes sense so mm-hmm. I, I it's just like the calling out and then there i can't remember i can't remember what it is there's something later in the movie that happens that like is kind of like supposed to be a spooky part but then everyone just starts like laughing and i'm like but it's not even like a mess up thing like the tone is right the score is right like why like why are we laughing yeah i'm not laughing i was getting pissed i mean i i i've never watched it in theaters so i don't know like which part but yeah that's just me i just think everyone should be dead quiet in a movie theater i don't even care if it's funny shut up i don't want to hear it (laughs) If you want to laugh in movie react, theaters, then. I'm a laugher and a reactor. Like whenever I watch movies with Marissa over the phone, like if it's something yeah. we haven't seen or whatever, like I'll ask me like, can I talk during this or are we going to be serious? And then mm-hmm. I'll put myself on mute because I have to talk. But if I'm in a movie yeah. theater, silence, zippo, nothing. You ain't getting shit out of me. So everybody should. <laughs> take heed the movie theater is not where we go to have fun this is where we're serious yeah we don't go to movies that's what we do. no just kidding nobody um, else but me should i guess you should just rent out a movie theater for yourself that is the dream i would love to do that just for a whole day put all your favorite movies on there you can go. so um next month we're gonna go see uh oppenheimer and barbie on the same day that's gonna be a good one I love double features. I like drive-in movie. Like double feature drive-in. That's what I want to do. PTSD, Katrina. I'm heartbroken over drive-ins. We'll get back to the the movie now. Anyway, let's talk about attempted murder. Right. So we see Artie. He runs out of salt. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to need a lot of it. Um, They're seasoning the food. I love it. Right. And he... When he comes back with the salt, he's on his little stool chair thing, and he's like, he puts some in, and then he looks at it, he's like, not nah, put some more, and I'm like, yeah, just keep going. Like, you just just keep adding the salt, because you're going to need a lot. And then we see a POV of somebody, like, behind the shelf um, watching him, and then it goes back to Artie, and then we see, like, a boy's hand grab the stool he's on and kind of, like, yank it. Yeah, he's already standing up on a stool so he can see over the giant pot of water to check if it's boiling, to season it. Ben already, I think he was just like going on a break. I don't know if it was just like a smoke break or he was doing something. So then we see Artie, he falls forward a little bit and grabs a shelf that's like above the pot and he's yelling like, he's like, he's trying to be nice at first. He's like, oh, I'll get you whatever you want. Like, it's fine. I'm sorry. Da, da, da. Like, what do you need? And then they pull the stool again. And then that's when he switches and it's like, I'll fucking kill you, you bastard, you son of a bitch. And then finally, the stool comes all the way out. The giant pot of boiling water falls on him. And we see Artie screaming bloody murder, which I feel like his throat had to hurt after this. Like, from screaming this much. Well, maybe the steam lubricated it. <laughs> Stay hydrated, people. Like <laughs> It's a really, really great practical effect shot. Um, they used, like, the, the prosthetics, and they used some gelatin and, like, little air cannons. Like, they had 
the actor who played Artie like raised a little bit so they could get like the air cannons like underneath because you see like the blisters like bubbling and boiling because they were like mm -hmm. shooting air into it to make it like have texture and move it's great and I, I know that you've said this before, Katrina, that you like that Artie didn't die from this because he deserves yeah. to live in pain. Yeah. And that's kind of what the, um, like, the EMT was like, oh, he's, we don't have that kind of medicine for the pain he's in right now. So he's going to be in pain. I'm like, good. Leave him. Yeah, who knows how many children, how many years he's been there, how many children he's potentially abused in the past. So you mentioned that it was a boy's hand um, that's messing with it, Artie's little stool that he's on. And, it, and you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Do we, we can put this in the podcast or not, I don't care. Do we want to yeah. say like what's going on like as we're talking through it and like who's doing it? Yeah, I mean, we can. We can say that it was Angela. It yeah. was Angela. But, and I think on the thing, somebody said, but it's actually, like, Jonathan's hand. Like, it's Ricky's, like, for the shot, it's Ricky's hand. But it's Angela, the character, that is trying to kill Artie. Yeah, I think what I've read is, like, they used a couple different men, like, actors and crew, to be I noticed like that. the body, the silhouette, the close-up like hand shots or something like that. To... It was very confusing because we would pause and like one would have a freckle and then we'd pause on the next one. I'm like now there's no freckle on his hand. Like what? Because yeah. at first watching this, we thought it was both Angela and Ricky working together. Oh, you did? Yes. So I was like, maybe they're taking turns. Maybe they're like, like teaming up to do it like maybe they have like a twisted connection i don't know um and i'll later on in the movie i'll point out which part made me think that um okay I, the first time when i watched this because I, I mean i just watched this movie for the first time in quarantine mm -hmm. i you know i think it was on prime or something they just you know suggested stuff and i was like i ain't got shit to do today let me just watch like i think i watched the first three like all at the same time I don't remember, which is very not on brand for me. I don't remember like trying to actually figure out like who it was or what was going on. I think I was just like in the state where I was just watching it. You were just watching it casually. Yeah. I was just like analytically. Yeah. Very not me, but 2020 <laughs> y'all. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, we're, what we find out at the end is that Angela by herself has committed all of these murders so Which I it, don't think Ricky even suspected her. Like he never acted like he suspected it was her. I don't I don't think so either. But then uh, there's a a line later where Ricky's just kind of like casual about the whole thing. Like he's not even worried mm -hmm. that he might be next. So it it just made me think like maybe he knows. Yeah. I think he knows. Leave that in there. I'm gonna highlight it. Cool. Beans. Do some editing on it. Um, um, Belle is with the EMTs as Artie is being taken away, and he's only concerned about bad plub. Words are hard. Yeah, I'm leaving that in too. <laughs> um, 
Mel's concerned about bad publicity. I spelled it right. Why can't I read it? <laughs> Mel is concerned for bad publicity. Ooh, I did it. Um, so he just doesn't want the parents to hear that there has been an accident. He doesn't want to make the other kids worried. And this would track for a lot of, of the other incidents that occur. Right. But I think it's very plausible that in like a summer camp kitchen that's just kind of like forced to be industrial that isn't actually a commercial kitchen that there would be accidents and, and yeah. the way that this is played off is an accident right. so his big concern about the publicity i don't think is as warranted as it will be later but mel promotes to be the head chef now and offers her an, an extra $50 a week to not talk about what has happened and then he offers um the rest of the kitchen crew a little bit more money as well yeah and because I'm weird $50 a week then is like $157 a week now I definitely looked it up too yeah because I was like I need to know um so, I mean it's an extra $600 a month yeah and I mean but only for like two months month. right well, I mean, back then, an extra $600, I mean, that was, what, you know, a year in your mortgage? I don't know. <laughs> oh, but my title for that one, I couldn't come up with one, so I had three different ones. It was either Cooked Cook, Boiled Bastard, or Well Done Wiener Shower. I don't know where that came from. I'm probably not going to leave that one in there. Oh, but. I thought, I mean... Shower, wiener thought, shower. It's not shower. I thought it was well. It's a shower, like the water falls on him. Well, I was doing it as like he's a well done wiener shower. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, now the that, way that I see it, I mean, I thought it was like a series of events. Like he was cooked, then he was boiled. Well, I was trying to do like an alliteration. So it's like cook, cook, wood bath. Anyway, I liked it. Okay. Your next, Going um, your next scene title is a good alliteration oh yeah boys baseball and bruised egos um and i would say that this scene is exorbitantly long for not having anything to do with the plot <laughs> in some ways it does it this baseball scene between the younger boys and the older boys at camp it sets up that they have you know a, a war going on and it has some wonderful dialogue Mm -hmm. Is it absolutely superfluous because it goes on for too long? Yes. But I enjoy it. I so. thought it was fun. Like all the, the heckling and the back and forth and the names. Like it was, it was good. Yeah. And this I, scene can be absolutely summed up in like 30 seconds where it's the younger boys and the older boys are playing a baseball game and they bet. I, I don't know if they are betting like, $5 per run that the winners make. Or, like, $5 per, like, player or whatever. Mm. Yeah. But my favorite line of this movie, I have two favorite lines, and this is one of them, where the young boys are heckling Bill, who's batting, and he's one of the older boys, like, the leader of that crew. He tells him to eat shit and die, Ricky. And then Ricky, just so coolly, he says, eat shit and live, Bill. I love it. 
I did like that one. I will say that throughout this, I really love the short shorts and crop tops. Bring back more slutty shorts. That's literally something that other people were laughing about too. Like, <laughs> like this is literally just what they wore. Yeah. And they should now. Which I will say they are bringing back like the five inch inseam shorts, but that's not short enough. Yeah, let's get craziness. Because the actor who plays the lead camp counselor, Ronnie, like is like an actual bodybuilder. So mm -hmm. Marissa and I we were watching this video um, when he goes into the kitchen to take Angela. And she's like commenting, he's like, wow, he's got really nice tits. <laughs> like, yeah, like he was like a legit dude. Yeah. So yeah, that's just the thing. And, and it's, this relates back to my complaint about people like laughing about stuff. It's like, just take in the fucking context. Like, have, like, a shred of media literacy. This movie came out in 1983, so it probably was recorded in 1982. That mm -hmm. is different than how we are 40 years later. Like, just take it and go. If you can watch fucking Underworld, which I watched last night, and it's, like, Twilight meets the Matrix, and everyone's <laughs> like, oh my god, like, it's, like, so cool. It's like, you can handle a fucking crop top. Okay, let's go. Crop top and some booty shorts, you're fine. So Ricky and the younger boys are thrilled when they have beaten the older boys in their baseball game. And Bill basically announces that it's it's on. Camp war. We see them next some kind of social at the rec hall that evening. Most of the boys are there, the older boys. Judy's there talking to a couple boys. Mel comes in and sees Meg, who turns all of her attention directly to him, putting her back mm -hmm. to Gino, who is the younger boys camp, like, bunk counselor. And I love his reaction. He and Meg are, like, looking at each other, talking, like, leaning against, like, the little, like, snack bar thing. Mel walks in, and Meg just turns right around, and Gino's just, like, he's just drops his he's like, man. I lost to an 80-year-old man. <laughs> Who smells like cigars and fucking probably like baby powder. Yeah. I'd like to make it clear that Meg has to be 18. I feel like yeah. all the camp counselors are at least 18. They're probably out of high school or college age is my assumption. Yeah. I think Ronnie looks like he could be old enough to be like out of college age, but he's still a young man. Susie and Meg look young. Gino is yeah. young. They're the just... lifeguard looks like he's probably like 25. Yeah, um, he looks like he's like an adult. But yeah, yeah, everyone's young. Except for the kitchen staff, Mel, and then like the cop that we yeah. haven't seen yet. Um, Everyone else is pretty young. I love when... So, let me set this up. There's the group of the older boys... And Bill comes back to the group to report that he can't find enough girls to want to go skinny dipping with all of them after the social. This boy, Kenny, I will call him Mullet Kenny, if I remember to call him that, says, well, what about Angela, who's just sitting there all by herself eating a candy bar? Which apparently that was the, like, audition for Angela, is, like, all the different actors just had to, like, pretend to eat a candy bar, and then the ones who looked the weirdest got it and then the audition for the character of ricky 
was the director just having a bunch of young boys like it's like okay shout as many profanities as you can and rookie <laughs> won jonathan tierston won because he did the mouths on these boys like we we haven't gone into it in as much detail but they're like cursing up a storm all the time oh, yeah. i feel like that comes with like being young and then having the freedom when you're at summer camp so you just yeah say everything your parents can't ground you here so kenny and yeah. mike that i didn't know mike's name for a while so i just put blonde boy in all my notes until i figured yeah, out what not, his name was he's not important enough not important enough but he's one of the older guys he's in the crew he he kenny go over to angela to try and sweet talk her a little bit to get her to say anything at all so uh she can go like skinny dipping with them and she just like stares angela still has not said anything this whole time and then right. one of my other favorite lines in this movie when the boys like can't get anything out of angela he's like you angela how come you're so fucked up i'm like i love it also love don't it. ask people why they're fucked up come on now yeah don't ask me because i'll tell you yeah don't don't ask what you don't want to careful what you ask for well and it's funny because like ricky walks into the rec room with his big ass cowboy hat i'm like what is he planning to do with this and i put in here i was like that did not fit in that bag that he had in the very beginning of this movie i know the way i I mean and Uh, it might be his it might not be and i mean you know like when you're young like i don't know he could have literally just found it on the ground and it belongs to him he's like i'm gonna wear this the rest of the night (laughs) i will say that yesterday we were at the park and yuri found um some sunglasses and nobody had been there for hours and they were like some oakley sunglasses but they're the ugliest goddamn ones we looked them up they were almost two hundred dollars looks like you can sell them that's what i told her she's like, she's like i can wear them for fishing i'm like as long as you don't wear them in public around me i don't care yeah there you go because they're embarrassing but oh, yeah, all I these boys little cowboy hat yeah it's all the they're just kids yeah all the older boys are kind of harassing Angela now, being like, just surrounding her, really. And Ricky goes up and starts defending her, and they all get into a fight. And none of the counselors really try to break it up. Like, they're just, like, watching. One he of them comes does. comes in a little later and pulls Ricky off. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's just kind of watching. It's the first of many dog piles in this movie. Yeah. Uh, like, um, do you do you ever watch The Kill Count? the dead meat channel on youtube or any of their podcasts uh-uh. well they're a great horror channel um and they do the guy james does kill counts for yeah. lots of horror movies and stuff like that so he'll like summarize it and talk about the kills along the way and he was like it's the first of boy piles because <laughs> like they're they're teenage boys they're like yeah. young boys so like all they do is like just pile on each other and yeah. that's it but they spent a lot of time doing it in this movie. Yeah. Um, but after after the fight kind of gets like broken up, Paul walks up to Angela and sits next to her and like I put it in here and I'm like, hi, I'm Paul. Like the little alien thing. No, and I like took me back to like Jimmy Neutron days. <laughs> he just talks to her. She's not responding in any way. And he just talks to her like she's a normal person. And Paul doesn't need anybody to respond to him. Because he just talks. So he talks but, enough, honestly. Yeah. So Judy is across the room and she's just jealous watching Angela get attention from a boy, which I don't understand. Like, she gets attention from all the boys, but she like she doesn't want to share any attention 
with anybody. I'm like, it's not even yours. She's she's just a young girl. Yeah. We were all like that. I mean, she's absolutely a mean girl, but yeah, she doesn't like somebody that she doesn't like getting what she wants. She's an only child for sure. Paul is leaving and he says goodnight. And as he's walking away, this is the first time Angela speaks and says goodnight. And like a little, like a sweet, soft, like voice. And he was like, so excited. He's like, good night. And like leaves. The next scene. This, this scene is called Douche Canoe. I love uh, it. I love it. I, it's like all the boys are at the lake and they're trying to convince these girls to go skinny dipping. None of the girls want to do it. And so they all just are like, fine, we'll go without you. And so they all get naked and we see all these like pale butts running down the dock to like jump in the water and we're just like gay 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 like you're swimming naked with other men like and that part's like fine it is but i'm like i don't see a problem with it but i'm like you want to swim with all the girl the girls like the girls don't want to skinny dip with you so skinny dip with your bros it works yeah um and katrina and i we were texting um like when we were doing stuff for this episode and we were talking about how in our midsummer episode we were talking about how there needs to be more male nudity in horror mm-hmm. movies to make it equal and everything and then it just so happens that this movie had like a parade of <laughs> white butts just running across and i was like honestly equality let's do it go for it so all the boys have just gone into the water and then there's others two boys one of which is kenny the mullet man right mm-hmm. mullet kenny and his friend, I don't know his name, but he doesn't Mike. matter. It's Mike, Mike again. Kenny we is... don't care about Mike. <sighs> Literally nobody likes Mike. Like Mike. Anyway, uh, Kenny is coming up to the girls and is trying to get them to like go on a night canoe ride. And they're like, oh, maybe Leslie will go with you. And so we cut to Kenny and Leslie getting in the canoe. Um, they're snapping turtles and water snakes. And we got to be careful. We don't get in the water. Meanwhile, he's literally rocking the boat. And then he ends up flipping it over and Leslie just like tells him to fuck off and then swims back to the shore and the (laughs) girls like get her out and then they call all the boys a bunch of jerks and then they leave. Um, Kenny is, he like swims underneath the canoe and like is pretending like Leslie is still there. Maybe he doesn't know that like she actually swam all the way back and he's just making a bunch of noise like to be a little bit scary underneath like the echo of the canoe and then we see somebody who has dark hair like pop up from underneath the water and kenny's just like what are you doing here and then he's drowned and we know that that's angela killing him good for her but i'm looking at the sleepaway camp wiki from looking up who played leslie and it has like her like plot deal in this you know says that she went to the shoreline she went on the canoe ride and then she swam back to shore but then it says late the next day and um leslie knew kenny drowned and regretted being harsh on him and leaving him alone in the water later on she knew angela was the one who killed him after she was informed by other campers and counselors when there was murder around the camp how? I don't ever remember seeing Leslie again. I don't remember seeing Leslie 
ever again. And then nobody knew that it was Angela until like the last frame of the movie. So I don't know how anyone would have found out beyond like, you know, like the sequel time frame. I don't know. And I don't remember Leslie being in the sequels. No, I've never or her seen character the even. Yeah. That's the um, only thing I remember of Leslie's is canoe flip. Yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. So I don't know yeah. what the wiki lore is doing. So the rest of the boys are waiting for Kenny to like come back to shore and then they're just like waiting a long time and then they're like, fuck it, he'll be fine. They trash the beach. They're like throwing chairs and messing stuff up because they're teenage boys and they suck. And then yep. it's the next day, the lifeguard, he's pissed off that the beach is ruined he has to clean it all up and then he's like tripping over stuff in the water and then it's a it's a funny delivery of a line but then he's like the world the deck is there and he sees like the canoe like <laughs> tipped over like in the shallow water and he's pissed but then he flips the canoe back over and we see kenny's dead body and it was a life yeah. cast that's really cool looking and it's got like one of the water snakes like slithering out mm -hmm. of his mouth over his eyes it's a really really great practical effect but yeah and everyone laughs at it and i'm like why are we laughing at this like it's very well done i i can see that and it looks like like either snapping turtles or something have taken like little bites out of him and the first time i watched it i was like there's no way he'd be that gross but then i thought about it and i'm like the snakes the snapping turtles like that's the karma of it you know a little bit when all the boys were leaving from the lake at the night before i th i really connected with one of them he made a pun he's like is this what it means by getting caught with your pants down and they like shoved him into the lake because they're like shut up but i'm like every time i make a joke that's what my friends do they just they don't appreciate me <laughs> we we have a pretty quick scene of the emts taking away a body bag Mel is trying to get the cop to say that, oh, there was an accident. He probably hit his head and he drowned. Like, he's just refusing the possibility of any foul play going on because he's concerned right. about the reputation of the camp and him. And the cop yeah. is just like, well, we won't know anything until the autopsy. And they're kind of volleying back and forth about cause of death and what happened. And Ronnie's just really concerned about everybody yeah. but mel just says well i have the unfortunate task of informing the parents which part of me was like wouldn't the cops but i guess if it's like his responsibility then maybe but i was like i'd rather just be like can you do it for me i can't yeah. imagine having to do that i think you know i if if mel takes on and chooses the responsibility of being able to do it and maybe you know i i it's it's stuff like this and things that happen that seem so willy-nilly to us mm -hmm. that make, to me, it makes a lot of sense for the time period. Like, I'm sure that because of accidents and things like this, I'm not saying that there's, like, murders and stuff going on at every summer camp, but there are injuries and accidental death. Right. Like, You've we got have all these things that that's why we now have all these, like, liability waivers and stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, something happens, and then yeah. the camp is going to have to protect itself in the future and things like that. So I'm just like context clues people the next scene we have the girls playing volleyball and did you i thought you raised your hand or something i did um i was gonna say if we should say anything about the cop and his mustache in the beginning oh yeah it looks real okay 
So I would say the cop in this scene, he the mustache looks fine. I think it's real. It's it, like, it is his real mustache. It looks real, but like as the movie progresses, you it's like for continuity, they're like, uh, somebody shaved and put a fake one on him later. Well, because what happened. I mean, I'll just spoil it. At, towards the end, when there's more murders, the police officer comes back and his mustache looks way different. It's because this scene was done during reshoots and the actor had shaved for a different role that he was doing. So they just mm. did a really bad job of <laughs> replacing it. Which is like, people shave. They could have just let him stay shaved. They didn't want to do that. They said, for continuity. For continuity, now you get a flat mustache instead of one that was like truly glorious. And it's like crooked and not even centered. And yeah. Yeah. They they're just, like, it's only for 30 seconds. Yeah. They're like, it's fine. So yeah. that's just like an aside of information. I feel like if we didn't say anything about the mustache in this episode, people would be like, you didn't talk about it. Yeah. So it's in there. You're Get welcome. off our dicks. <laughs> the next scene, all the girls are playing volleyball, and Judy, being Judy, is wearing a shirt that says Judy. Because she's self-centered and that's who she is. Angela is just sitting and watching because she doesn't really, really, she doesn't really participate or like connect with any of the other girls. And Paul walks up, sits and like sits with her and is talking. And so obviously Judy gets jealous, tells Meg. And Meg is always going to take Judy's side in this movie. Yeah, she says that. Judy says it's not fair that Angela doesn't have to play volleyball and she just gets to talk to boys all day. Mm-hmm. So Meg is like, well, that's certainly not fair. And she yeah. just, Meg is not subtle about anything. Meg is direct. M-E-G. She is right there because she just goes right up and she's like, Angela, if you're not going to participate, then you can't talk to boys. You can't do anything. You just sit there and be quiet. Fucking bitch. Susie, though, does defend her. She's like, she's just talking to a boy. Like, we all do it. Um, But Paul leaves. Why are you going to yeah. be such a bitch, Meg? Truly. Paul's just excited that he has a date to the movie that night. So he got what he wanted. He can go. Oh, yeah. But after the movie, Paul and Angela are holding hands. And he's like, can I walk you back to your cabin? We also see Ricky try to talk to Judy. But she shoots ricky down and she just she wants to be wanted but she doesn't actually want ricky she wants older boys yeah Um, so she follows paul and angela back to the cabin um but she's a few you know a little bit behind them Um, paul takes angela around the side of the cabin and he's like there's something i want to show you and then he just turns around and kisses her like it's the most unromantic kiss like it's just like lips touching and i wouldn't i would hardly call it a kiss even right angela's lips never moved yeah it's just she like, was just like he kind of kissed her but she was like okay and then he immediately was like oh my god don't be mad like he's like i'm sorry like can i and then kisses her again and it like it was the exact same as the first one but i mean like they're little so it's like it's just like they're nervous they're scared like i think it plays it, off just like that like that's yeah what you're meant to assume so angela's yeah. just like okay good night yeah and she goes inside still the bunk, awkward. and then judy comes up and is trying to sway paul that angela you know 
won't be enough for him Mm -hmm. and then he just walks away like it's very awkward but i feel like it works in the context of it being little kids yeah so we go go ahead let's say we go over to ricky's cabin where they're pranking mozart again this time they are putting shaving cream in his hand and they're just uh, torturing this boy the whole summer they make him go face first into a butt in the beginning before the baseball game now they're putting shaving cream on his face like honestly like when mozart pulled out his knife and started running around i was like "Mm, i get it He, he was bound to snap yeah and gino comes in takes the knife away is like are you guys crazy and like quote unquote hides it in his butt like he just puts it like on his shelf when all of them are watching like those boys are not stupid so that's also a little bit why i thought it was ricky because how did angela know where that knife was that's what i don't know anyway it's very valid because that knife ends up being used to off a few people so yeah how did angela know about it especially if ricky wasn't involved with the murders but that's it's not canon that ricky was so right it's and so partially it's plausible ricky and angela just talked and ricky Mm -hmm. was just like oh my god this happened and then mozart pulled a knife on me and gino just took it and kept it in his stuff like right and it could have also been paul because i mean they called him lover boy or whatever so he was there so yeah so either ricky or paul could have talked about it yeah paul comes back into the cabin and he's like got heart eyes like floating around his head um and the younger boys they do another dog pile they all just like jump on him because they're like oh you're in love yeah next scene good name oh <laughs> this scene is called tattle tit because that's what judy does um a bunch of the kids are up at the beach and angela who isn't swimming I thought she was afraid of water. Angela is sitting watching everybody kind of swim at the beach. And Paul comes up behind her and does like the whole guess who. And she plays along. So it was cute. It was nice. So yet again, jealous Judy tattles to Meg. And then Paul leaves before Meg even like arrives over there. And then Meg just starts antagonizing Angela like about swimming and just like screaming in her face, getting so angry and yeah, just she, shaking the, her yeah she starts like shaking her like why won't you answer me ronnie runs over and he's like angela what or he's like talking to meg he's yelling he's like what the fuck are you doing like this is a kid and ronnie punishes meg mm-hmm. like sends her to the office because he's gonna mess with her and then ronnie he's so nice he's like angela are you okay and angela yeah. doesn't speak she has only talked to paul doesn't say anything to judy or meg nothing and ronnie's just being really nice to her then we skip to a little bit later in the cabin judy's coming out of the bathroom she's just had a shower she's like drying off her hair and stuff like that and then she sees angela just sitting there and announces to the cabin that they should all thank angela for getting meg in big trouble but then angela says i didn't do anything so that's the first time she's spoken to like the main group of girls she talked to Susie for like a second when she just said that she was fine to watch the stuff but that was like the first time she and Judy have spoken to each other yeah and I I don't know why but like Judy's pillow just maybe like throwback vibes yeah but the flowery print like on the actual pillow yeah 
And so Judy's like, why doesn't Angela shower when the rest of us shower? You queer or something? Um, well, and that's a really... Is she wrong? It's a great call out because it just comes off as Judy being a bully. Like, I don't know if it's before or after dinner, um, but like all these girls are like, you know, doing their shower routine and everything. Right. Um, and Susie's just like, Angela can shower in the morning if she wants to. So, I mean, Angela is showering. So it's not like right. there's a hygiene thing. And I know that that can happen at camp sometimes, but Judy is just fucking off her rocker and th- this is my number one favorite line in this whole movie but she's just going in 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 on angela about how she's different and then she was saying like oh like are you not showering because you haven't hit puberty yet you don't want anyone to know that you don't have any hair down there which is a very interesting cultural th- difference between where they were then like pro bush to like now yeah no bush but then she says and i love it she says that angela is a real carpenter's dream flat as a board and needs a (laughs) screw and Susie's like we're done judy tells Susie to fuck off then Susie slaps her in the face and then she's just like "Ooh, yikes i hit a kid yeah that was bad but i was yeah even for Susie, that was surprising but she deserved it i mean i love judy i love a bad girl but like she deserved to get hit talk shit get hit if you can't like that's my main thing if you can't take it don't dish it like if you're gonna talk shit expect for it to come back at you absolutely so Susie's kind of stunned that she did that judy runs away to the bathroom and then angela in like this awkward moment she's like i'm gonna go on a walk yeah so then she leaves (laughs) We see the older boys outside on some cabin. They're on the roof throwing water yeah. balloons at each other, which isn't safe, but whatever. They no see other Angela. place to do it. Sure. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense. <laughs> the boys see Angela walking down the little road. Then they throw water balloons at her and it kind of like knocks her down. Um, Paul sees it, runs over to Angela to like help her. Ricky like comes up a couple seconds later out of the his cabin but then he can deduce what has happened then he runs up to the other cabin where the older boys are and just starts like cursing at them like fuck you yeah. i'm gonna like kill you and your mom <laughs> yeah. just goes off on them he i'm saying it makes him come off as like really aggressive so when you're watching this the first time you're like damn he's mad mad like this is he's popping off for sure <laughs> everything mel comes over and gets ricky to calm down yells at the other boys to come down off the roof and says that he saw the whole thing and that the boys could have really hurt angela and then says that they don't get any canteen time for a week which i think that's like their rec center or whatever maybe like snacks or something i don't know yeah um and then he says that ricky is also being punished because of his mouth but ricky's just pissed because everyone keeps bullying his cousin and he mm-hmm. nobody's stopping it mel does ask angela like are you okay and she's just like sitting there paul says that she's fine and i love mel for this and he's like well you better go change before you catch pneumonia it's almost time to eat <laughs> like I, he's so not engaged but like kind of no. is so it's, it's just a funny it's also one of those like cliche like where adults are so extra with their like 
you could have taken an eye out. You know, you're going to catch pneumonia. You're, I'm like, that's not going to happen. You're lying. My thought for this but, whole thing, um, kind of an aside, kind of not. I feel like this is like maybe, a, I mean, like in the Poconos, like this is like a Northeastern kind of town. Like it looks like people are like Jewish, Italian. Like it seems I, like that's like the area and like the foliage of what it looks like. This isn't like a beach beach. It's like a big no. lake. Which I, I I tried to look it up and instead it was rec- it was in New York is where it was um set or filmed. Yes. Yeah, filmed in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering and the accents I feel like they track with New York. So I don't know. Well and I, but I, I, I would agree. Point, for Mel to be like, you know, change before you catch pneumonia to where like where they physically are being in the northeast it's not like a hot Mm -hmm. southern summer or anything like that so like while i don't think pneumonia is the biggest threat to them it's still something that like you know if you're all wet it does get colder at night so yeah like i'm just saying that because i think that mel means it kindly yeah even though he's you know an oaf he's being a bit dramatic but so the older boys are getting ready to go play baseball again. And they ask Bill if he's coming. And Bill says, I'll be right over. I got to take a wicked dump, which is probably exactly something that a boy that age would say. My brother still <laughs> says that. So I'm like, yeah, I, for sure. Bill goes into the bathroom. He takes his magazine and it's like a stall type bathroom. We see somebody like lock the door by putting either like a broom handle or a stick through the door handle so that it can't open out. And then once we see Bill in the bathroom, a knife and a hand, we somebody takes Mozart's knife and is cutting an X in the screen, which doesn't really startle Bill yet until a stick with a beehive on it comes in and starts getting shaked around. And Bill's like banging on the door, trying to get out, screaming. Um, and he doesn't, he ends up dying, which part of me is like, Bill is a really athletic guy. He could either A, jump over or B, go under. But I'm like, maybe in the moment he was so panicked that his brain just like, did, yeah. couldn't think of what to do to get out. I think, I mean, the stick was kind of thick that they locked him in with, but I feel like he could have broken it. I think that this was an avoidable death, but the death yeah. happened. So Bill is dead death by beehive and then we skip over to mel and ronnie in mel's office mel is lamenting that he's finished his days are done and then he asks ronnie how many kids are left because i guess a bunch of other kids with everything going on they've they've chosen to leave or their parents have dragged them out and be like mm-hmm. i'm killing my kid today right so Ronnie says that there are only 25 kids left and he will consolidate all of the bunks tomorrow because they don't need all of the bunks and everything if they can just keep everyone together and it'll be safer. And Mel kind of gets a weary look in his eyes and he's like, I know who it is. And yeah, but he also mentions like, yeah, make it easier for the kids. Oh, like that makes it harder. What? Well, he's saying, like, makes it yeah. easier for the killer if everybody's all in one spot. Right. Um, 
safety in numbers. Yes. So then we're going to, I assume it's that evening, and it's a POV shot of somebody in the woods looking at Angela, who is like on the side of the cabin. She's like Mm -hmm. peering around both corners. Like she looks like she's nervous. And then we just see a male hand reach out for her and go over her shoulder. And then she just flips around real quick. And then it's just Paul. Yeah. She was like, I thought you were the killer. Like it scared her. And I'm like, well, and that's the thing. I feel like that's a really good fake out from the creator to be like, oh, well, you wouldn't imagine that it's Angela if we've seen that she's scared too. You know what they say? Smelt it, dealt it. (laughs) I thought you were the killer. (laughs) No, but it does put some doubt in the back of your head and part of me was like i'm not worried about angela being murdered because the person doing the murdering is protecting or like like getting vengeance for angela basically yeah and i feel like like this is a really good time to comment on it at least for me like i knew when i was watching that everybody is being mean to angela give or take in like in one way or another but then everyone's dying. So, like, absolutely. It's everybody who is mean to Angela dies. Yeah. So it's like, duh, of course it's Angela. Right. But this movie is really good that everybody kind of has relationships with each other. So mm-hmm. it's a really good fake out. I mean, and like I said before, like, I wasn't super paying attention and trying to solve the mystery the first time I watched it. But Bill has his conflicts with Ricky and Judy is still talking to Bill and like Mike and the other boys and stuff. And um, Meg and Mel have their own little deal. Ronnie is involved with everybody as the camp counselor. Angela has her relationships with everybody. So it's a really good fake out. Yeah. Because everybody is involved with each other. And because we're, we're being told, you know, something's wrong with Angela, right? Throughout this whole movie. And part of me is the second time through is like, I wonder if she snaps and blacks out and maybe she doesn't remember what she's done because she seems semi-sincere being scared and being like, oh my God, I thought you were the killer, but maybe she's a good actor. There's the potential that she snaps and blacks out and then goes, oh shit. I think of her action at the very, very end, you could say that she's just acting, but you never know because it's a trauma response like her not talking right i don't think that that's an act i don't i do not believe that angela went to this camp with the intention of having a bad time of needing to do this i think that this was a trauma response extreme Uh right cinematic it's a movie but if we're gonna boil it down i don't think that it was intended from the beginning that she was just crazy and then went off i think it was well something happened to me and there was all this abuse to me after the fact you are hurting me now i'm going to get you yeah and i don't think like aunt martha is obviously abusive and delusional but I don't think she would have put these other children in harm's way if she had them. I agree. If she, so, um, but Paul and Angela go to make out on the beach 
and she like trips him and they're playing and it's cute and then they finally like lay on the beach together and Paul's trying to like touch her chest but she keeps telling him like no thank you and then she ends up having a flashback to her dad and his lover in bed together and then um the kids are at the door like snickering like oh my god haha like you know when your parents kiss you're like ew oh my god I can't relate but you know what I mean like your parents showing affection it's weird we see the siblings sitting on the bed and like one of them they're like one of them's like pointing at each other yeah Peter young Peter is just pointing at young Angela and the camera like swirls around them it's it's an interesting shot I haven't heard anyone in particular give an exact reason or the mentality behind this I think that there's a lot of different ways you can go with it if you're just making up reasons so yeah we go from the two little kids seeing John and the lover like you know I I don't even remember if they kissed but they're just like laying in bed like cuddling like like, cuddling yeah and then we go to like the other little kids so I think that there's one argument about they're little kids like they're little little they don't know like the physicalities of stuff and I think that this is one argument for like when girls and boys are so young they don't understand much of the differences between boys and girls mm-hmm. um other than like the very very superficial level I th- so I think that there's like a curiosity that comes and, and I assume that they're like twins basically yeah they looked like they were the same age and part of me was wondering because if it's Peter pointing at Angela maybe okay so in the moment Peter who is like making out with Paul right now is flashing back to me like oh I'm Angela I I don't know if yeah. he's there's a lot of different like things so- identity crisis at that moment like he doesn't know who he is or like Angela doesn't know who she is and is like confused of like what is happening yeah am I a girl kissing a boy or am I who I actually am as a boy kissing a boy but I've already seen that it's okay that boys kiss boys right boys kissing boys is fine but do I like boys because I am being a girl or do I like boys because I like boys well and there's also this might be a little bit of a twisted thought in my mind But when it's, like, the shot of little Peter and Angela in the bed, like, just staring at each other, and then Peter points at her, and Angela is just, like, sitting there. Like, they don't do anything. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, the camera's swirling around them doing it. My mind kind of went to the fact that the Peter pointing, just the one finger, it's a little phallic in in imagery. I don't have anything, like, further than that, because... I don't. Could it have been a flowers in the attic moment? Is what you're kind of maybe. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know that Peter and Angela like experimented with each other or anything like yeah. that. If that's what you're referring to, but just like Peter pointing, he's the only one with like a finger out. That's mm-hmm. phallic in nature, and Angela not is that there's you know nothing to stick out. I don't like. I don't know. It's really <laughs> confusing because they don't ever expand on that that there's nothing it's just like angela and peter are kissing or angela and paul are kissing on the beach and then angela real angela and peter are just in the bed 
after they've watched their dad like be romantic and intimate with another man so i think that every thought process is correct because there's no comparison or callback of it it's just it's a weird dreamy scene that it's just very unsettling and if that was just the point that's fine i haven't heard like any actual reason for it but then when angela kind of like comes back like present day angela she like throws paul off of her and runs away like she does not want to have any kind of physicality with paul yeah the it and good for her for being able to you know recognize like i don't want this i'm just gonna physically leave yeah for whatever reason whether it was fear trauma right lack of desire for any reason you know if you don't want to don't do it please and and i would also on the side of that if you like if you don't want to don't do it but like if you don't want it don't do it so this next scene is all the kids are oh, oh i'm just excited just about it to- no i'm just oh. excited <laughs> i like lifted my hands rachel, up like yeah rachel loves capture the flag apparently um well, <laughs> no, just I like this scene. I like the game of capture the flag. I think because it's a, a physical game that just requires a lot of strategy mm-hmm. as much as skill. Like I can't throw like a football. I can't play basketball like super well, but like capture the flag is fun because then you get to like conspirator, conspirus, conspirator, conspire, conspire. You're good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Words are hard for me today. Um, okay. But you get to like conspire with your friends or your team and like figure out like your plan. Like I like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So like capture the flag is a fun game for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I it was one of like the movie things that's like man. So it's Gino. I don't know the name of this other counselor. I think it might is like Jeff or something. I don't know. Sounds like somebody that would be named Jeff back then. Yeah. I don't know. Two of the counselors. They've got the blue team and the white team. Um, and they're explaining every single rule of capture the flag. Like they they didn't do like the movie thing where it's just like we're gonna play capture the flag and like cut to it. Like they tell you every single thing you need to know. Yeah. Um, and while Jeff is talking at first, Gino like takes like the big flagpole and like puts it like behind his head and makes it look like he's trying to eat it. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. It like yeah. this movie does what kids do. Yeah. So for I, sure. I'm endeared to it. I can't remember if Paul and Angela are on the same team or not, but I know Ricky and Angela are. Right. I don't know about their team. I don't know what Paul's team was. I remember looking at it and being like, oh, I need to remember whose team they're on, but I don't, and I didn't write it down. So my yeah. fault. I don't think it matters whose team is on. No. Um, but Paul goes up to Angela um, and kind of apologizes for the night before and Angela just says that she wasn't ready and Paul's like it's fine but like it's not fine right and then Angela just walks away and then Judy comes up to Paul to just goad him again but Angela's walked off Ricky catches up with Angela and tells her about the great strategy he's come up with (laughs) where they can like sneak into the woods behind the other team's flag and then like get him from behind and like distract him and blah 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 Angela doesn't want to play but then Ricky does the smart thing. He's like, but if we play and we win, then you don't have to play at all anymore. And she's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Very kid. If, if it'll bring this to the end, I'll do it. 
Ricky convinces Angela, let's cut through the woods. So they kind of split ways because Angela's supposed to be bait to like go in front of Ricky to get caught so that Ricky can actually capture the flag. And Angela comes across Judy and Paul kissing in the woods. I don't even know if Angela said anything. She just like runs off. Yeah, she runs off. She sees it and runs off. Ricky saw it from the other side. And Paul, I think, goes after Angela. Ricky calls Judy like a scumbag. Yeah. And And Judy. She's like, same to you. Yeah, but she doesn't like that Ricky just flips her off and like keeps going with like the game stuff. So Judy's pissed that like people are mad at her for being a bitch, but she's a bitch. Right. And then the next scene, we're back um, at the beach. Angela's just sitting there again. Paul comes up and apologizes to her and says that Judy just wouldn't leave him alone. And he didn't really want to do it, but it just kind of happened. Then Judy comes around and she's like, oh, you guys are back together so soon. I'm surprised, Angela, since Paul was just saying what a prude you are. Paul's like mortified. Angela's Mm -hmm. pissed. M.E.G. has to walk up and Meg and Judy are trying to get Angela in the water and Angela just won't do anything. And this is a really good scene. Like, this is what I was referring to earlier. So Ricky just is, like, coming up to the beach. Mel has it in his head that he thinks Ricky is the killer. So he intercepts Ricky, and he's just, like, trying to talk to him. He's like, oh, like, how's your summer? How's it going? Ricky's just kind of looking around. He's like, it's fine, I guess. Like, not really, like, a mention of the murder specific. But then Mel's like, it's a shame all those kids had to go home. And Ricky's like, yeah, it's kind of hard to get a ball game going. So this is where I'm saying it's like Ricky is not concerned for like his own life or anything. He's like, but baseball. (laughs) Yeah. So it's one of those things where Mel thinks he is nonchalant because Ricky's must be the murderer because Ricky has been involved with like the boys, the older ones, you know, and like their little war. So Kenny and Bill are dead. So he saw Ricky and Angela running off when Artie was injured. So right. he's always he's been present. Around. Who else has and died? Angela is so, uh, I, I think it's just them. Three. Okay. But Angela is so like, I was going to say soft-spoken, but non-spoken, really. She's and just like looks, a non-thing, kind of. But Ricky comes off as abrasive and aggressive with, you know, cussing people out. So Mel... Oh, a girl couldn't do that. You know, that I think that's kind of his thinking. Meg throws Angela over her shoulder because she says that she's going to go swimming. And Ricky sees this, but Mel like grabs him and starts threatening him, saying like, I know it was you. You are the murderer and won't let Ricky go help Angela. Right. And Judy tosses Angela in. Um, Meg, Meg throws her in. Is that what I said? Did I say Judy? Yeah. Meg throws Angela in. Judy's just laughing the whole way. It's been said that Angela can't swim and probably hasn't gone into the water after her whole family died. So that makes sense. Yeah. And then um, Ronnie comes up, breaks up Mel and Ricky. Ricky runs over to Angela. Ronnie is like, Mel, what the fuck is wrong with you? But he's deluded. He's absolutely convinced Ricky's the killer. 
The lifeguard yeah. and Ricky pull Angela out of the water. And then these little kids are throwing sand at Angela because she's like a camp pariah. So like everyone's being mean to her. I will say the first first time watching it, I didn't notice those kids at all until I was watching it the second time and I saw you either. I mean, truly, I didn't. I, I was like, it was very, very small. Like in the screen itself was small and like not obvious by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, so later on, I was confused, but it makes sense now. Yeah. So Ricky and gets I, Angela. Go ahead. I say, after this, I was really upset because I was like, Meg should be fired. Meg should be like, they should be pressing charges and they should fire her. But obviously, Mel is not going to fire Meg. And it's yeah. just. The lifeguard uh, calls Meg a peckerhead, which is like mm-hmm. his insult because he was talking about the peckerheads who ruined the beach earlier when he had to clean it up <laughs> after the boys. Um, Judy and Meg like kind of make a look at each other like that people don't like them for how they act but then they're like cool with each other being horrible Mm -hmm. and Ricky says that he won't let them get away with it so that's another like little thing so (laughs) this is a good scene title there's a little counselor meeting and Ronnie says that Meg and somebody else I don't remember have the night off so Meg goes up to Mel and says that she wants to do like dinner together like the dinner he promised her and Mel's like yeah like 9 30 which is very late to be eating and I'm old for saying that I don't well um, they're probably not eating yeah they're probably having like a second dinner not a lot of calories in that um (laughs) (laughs) one of the funny things I think is because Meg like instigated the whole thing with Mel and she says like she's gonna go freshen up and she'll see him later and then she walks away and mel just just kind of gives a look and he's like hmm, like i pulled that good for me because megan is not ugly no she is really beautiful she is on the outside inside very ugly but but the outside mel does not mel does not care about that yeah. um so meg makes the plans and then she like skips off she goes to go shower and all the girls are in line for the shower. She goes, I suppose none of you are let me cut you. No, because you're a cunt. Like, you don't get to cut anybody. Well, she just so get she, cut. So she goes next door and showers in that cabin. And I just Which I say, beg the question, because they're assuming that there's three or four showers in use in that cabin. And then there were like three girls waiting. If she announced that she was going to go next door to shower in the other cabin why didn't anyone go with her i would have been like oh yeah i'm an idiot waiting in this line why don't i just go over there absolutely so plot (laughs) well and not only that but when we see her in the shower she has like a soap in her hand but there are no suds like there are no bubbles or suds anywhere on her body the entire time and it drove me crazy i would say that that is an 80s product because different like lathering agents have been added since the 80s into our soaps okay i'll context people. and don't like it but she's showering and then i will we, we don't we don't see her boobs right like when she's showering like no. she has like, her arms at her side so i feel yeah. like this movie is like pretty like pg-13 yeah like it's not it like i like there's gruitous it wasn't unnecessary ass, but not boob shot not boobs i don't 
there aren't any boobs, are there? No, like, I didn't see any. We see like some nipple, but I think that that's just because like the bra life was different then and now. Yeah. Yeah. And Meg, she's just like coming, having a good time. She's going to party with herself that night. Like she's having a happy shower. And then she just gets stabbed through the shower in the back with Mozart's knife again. And it gets like drug down like a slice like and it goes back between like the knife coming down and like her going you know yeah I and this is where I'm like it's poor editing it's like somebody was like they were filming Meg and they're like okay act like you're dying and then they just like cut back and forth she's like like one or two of them would have been okay but it it keeps going yeah it's fine so she's dead and we see the hand like rinsing off the blade M-E-G is D-E-D. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> I love it. And we see the knife get rinsed off in the shower and turn off the water. And this is where Yuri and I were like pausing to look at the hand. And I'm like, this is not tracking. So the hands were really confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, and not then- all the blood got rinsed off that knife. And I was like, what was that? There is like a big social or something that night that everyone's going to. Um, so Meg was going to skip that because she wasn't on duty. Judy doesn't want to go. So she stays in the cabin and one of the counselors, I don't know his name, but we've seen him before. Um, his task that night is to take a handful of little boys out in the woods to like camp under the stars. Mm -hmm. So the camping counselor is getting like the little boys set up. He does not want to be there. He does not want to be outside. He's sleeping in his jeans. I hate that. Well, and he also, like, one of the boys, like, brought an axe along. And he's like, give me that. What are you doing? And, like, he makes a big deal. Like, confiscates the axe. Paul has asked Angela for forgiveness after dinner. And she says to meet him at the waterfront after the social. And then we've cut to the campers, like, the little ones who a couple of them wake up and say that they're cold. They want to go back. And this is another reason why I think this is the Northeast because it gets colder at night mm-hmm. for camp. And they convince the counselor to take them back to like their actual cabins. And then we have a POV shot of somebody looking at the other boys who are still in their sleeping bags. And then they pick up the ax. Yeah. And at that um, social we see Mel come in. He's all dressed to the nines in his nice clothes, looking for Meg. So Mel asks some of the counselors, like, where is Meg? And they said that the last time they saw her, she was going to the showers. So Mel heads to her cabin to go look for her. And And in the cabin, we see Judy, who is giving out about the social with Mike, who we don't care about, right? Is that his name? Yeah, the blonde guy. And they're kissing on her bunk and she goes, or she goes, you kiss so wet and like wipes her mouth. And she's like just annoyed. So Judy and Mike hear something outside and Mike hides under Judy's bed. Mel comes in without even knocking and asks her what she's doing. And she says she's reading. He asks, "Where's have you seen Meg? And she tells him that, oh, she went to go shower in the cabin next door. And as he's leaving, he's like, ruin your eyes reading in the dark which is one of those things that old people say as an exaggeration well and that's kind of one of the things too where it's like you know he's like don't catch pneumonia don't read in the dark like he's saying yeah kind of nice things like in this particular scene if we didn't know that like he was 
like looking for a Meg. Like he seems nice. So Mel leaves and Mike gets up and he's like, I'm just gonna go because he's worried that some he might come back. And Judy's pissed off. She's like, You know he's not gonna come back. Like he just wants to go. Like Judy was mean to him. <laughs> he was like looking for an out. So she gets mad and just decides she's gonna curl her hair. We go back to Mel um going into the other cabin to find or to go look for Meg. And when he walks into the bathroom, her body like falls out of the shower onto the ground. And he just, a few things, like the timing was great that he walked in when her body fell. Cause I don't know how long she was standing up against that wall or what the timing of all this was really. He just goes into this monologue of like, not you, Meg, I'm gonna get him. I promise you I'll get him. Like the sadness isn't even there. It's just anger and he just is talking to a dead body it's just a performance yeah it's just a performance and then he he's on the hunt so then we cut back to judy curling her hair in bed like she's but she's keeping all of the lights off somebody do they knock or do they just open the door i can't remember i think they just oh i don't know but they we only just see um like Either way, the cabin door opens and it's just a body in a silhouette. And Judy's like, who is that? This this is the actual production error that um, has been said. Like how you were talking about when you watch it on your TV versus your computer and stuff like that. Like the different lighting. So they used Ricky as like a stand-in for this body. But because of like high def and the way that our screen resolutions are and everything like even though it's a silhouette kind of behind him kind of on the side you can just absolutely see ricky's face yes and then that kind of plays a little bit funny to have judy being like who is that yeah why are you just standing there and then she's like well if you're gonna get in here like just get in here and don't turn the lights on so we don't have to go to the stupid social and She's curling like this tiny little piece of hair like by her ear. And then when she takes out the curling iron, the hair isn't even curled. So I'm like, boo. And then the body gets a little bit closer to Judy. And then she's like, oh, it's you. What do you want? And then she just gets punched in the face, yeah, which just, I love. Just, just shut up. Like, yeah, talking. it was lights out. And then a pillow yeah. goes on her face. And then this is a very iconic scene. And people laugh at this too. And I stop. So it's just like the shadows on the wall where we see like the curling iron get lifted. Like the little clamp opens. And then we just see like a movement of it down. And then Judy is screaming through the pillow and then like raises her hand like a claw little thing. So apparently what has happened is Angela has stuck the curling iron up Judy's hoo-ha. And That's like, kind of what I got from that. Burns yeah. her. So the first time I saw it, I thought like maybe she was putting it down her throat. But like the pillow I, was over her face the whole time. The pillow was over her face yeah. like at first, but then like it could have gone down her throat because Judy talks a lot. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. Like the curling iron did not kill Judy. No. I think that she was like smothered because the pillow right. was over her face. And then- Angela was just like fuck you bitch because it is canon that it the curling iron like goes up her vagina like to burn her but I'm like that's just a burn like it would suck but 
Like it's just a burn. Like that's not going to kill her. Um, So this is a very famous scene and everyone like goes crazy, crazy over it. And like, it's intense. Like the kill technically is done off screen, like, and it's shot well, but like, for me, I don't know. Like, it just doesn't like hit. Cause even after I learned, like it was supposed to be like the vagina, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, that's not going to kill her. Why are people saying she died by a curling iron? That's just a burn. Like, I think I just have autism. But after all that, they hide the body or Angela hides the body under the bed. It like shoves the bunk back over oh she's gonna stink yeah and the counselor we go back to the counselor who took all those kids camping comes back to where he left all the sleeping children and comes back to like uh minced meat in blankets like it was just these kids have been chopped up like badly yeah it's like sleeping bag feathers and like body parts kind of all strewn out and here's here's one thing so like in the kill count and then in um, like an article thing where it goes over like who all has died they say that it's four kids that are killed and I think that you can count like four sleeping bags but so the counselor who finds the kids like he like is shocked and like kind of throws up and then mm-hmm. he runs back to I assume his car and I don't know how far they are because he calls the camp and Ronnie yeah. answers and says that, like the kids that had stayed behind are dead so Ronnie's freaking out and um, calls the police and gets all the other counselors because they need to go find all of the kids who are still there because they want to protect them. But they say, Ronnie says, three kids died. I counted three because five kids went out, two went back. Also, Angela may not have known that it was an empty like, sleeping bag and just chopped. So... So, yeah, the kill count says four, this other thing says four, but then when I was literally just watching it, I was like, they say three. Yeah. So, like, there's, like, a mismatch, but I'm gonna go by what my boy Ronnie says, so. So, Ricky has not gone to the social, but he comes up to the rec hall after the social is supposedly over, and Jeff doesn't want to let him in, but Ricky says that dinner made him feel sick, so he's been laying down, and now he's hungry, so... Jeff lets him in, and then, like, three seconds later, this kid comes out with two handfuls of candy bars. I'm like, if you're... I mean, it's perfect kid logic, but I'm like, honey, if your stomach has been hurting you, this is not what you should do. But no, he's literally so happy. Like, the way that he's eating this, like, chocolate bar or whatever, he's having the time of his life. And he has no idea that um everyone's about to get, like, grouped up together because there's a murderer. Yeah. So. And he's been unfazed by the murders. So far that we can tell. Yeah, the whole time. Then he is walking down the road, I assume, to go back to his bunk because everybody's supposed to go there. Like, that's what all the counselors are shouting now. Nobody's told Mm -hmm. them that more kids are dead. Um, But Mel drags Ricky into the forest, just starts, like, beating him, like, hands over his head, like, like an ape, just, like, smashing down on him saying that he's not gonna let him get away with this he knew it was mel knew it was ricky the whole time and ricky's just like what you're talking about and then we don't hear ricky um talk anymore yeah and when mel got done he's like i got him i got him and then he's like oh wait i gotta get away like the realization the clarity that came after that he was like oh shit i just killed a kid like 
I gotta go. As he's walking through the woods to try and get away, he goes into like an archery range because we see like a uh, like a target in the background. Mm-hmm. And Mel goes, it can't be you. And just arrow straight to the throat. Good I, I thought it was a really great shot. So the effect of it is like the arrow like goes through like the base of his throat and then you see the tip of it on the other side. So there's like some special effect where they had like a spring loaded tip on the backside to be able to like pop it up behind his neck. I think it looks really good. Yeah. I I do wish that there was blood. Well, the blood, I mean, it's pretty quick, but the blood would be mostly on the other side anyway on that exit hole. Probably. Presumably. So but Mel's with, dead. With, Mel did not get the right man. Nope. And um, which, which Mel was never outright mean to Angela, but I'm guessing Angela saw what he did to Ricky and that was her defending Ricky. That and or Meg. You know, Mel didn't prevent what Angela had been put through during camp. So yeah. Revenge either way. Yeah. So we then see Mr. Police Officer Mustache um telling all the counselors to get your kids and get oh, yeah, them all around. Yeah, I forgot that the cop was back for that. They're looking yeah, everywhere just to get all the kids grouped back up. Yeah. Paul arrives to the waterfront with Angela and she tells him to strip down and let's go swimming. And he's like, doesn't even question it, just starts getting naked. And Angela's hair is like a mess. And he doesn't like feel like, are you good? Like what happened? Yeah, I don't know. Angela just kind of like turns back to see like if anyone's like there or following yeah. them. And she like un- go like slowly starts to like unbutton her top shirt or her top button. Um, but so Gino and the officer come across like a candy wrapper. And obviously that means there's a child around. So they're searching even further and they find Ricky and he breathes. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Ricky is okay. Ricky is Um, alive. And we go to the other group and the one, or actually it's still the same officer, but they are all together and they find Meg dead. And the mustache man is stunned. Like he, shocked. And yeah, I'm like, like the out two of all this, you're the two counselors that found Meg inside, like scream and run out of the bunk. So the officer, of course, has to go in it. And then like he comes out with like that stunned face of like what he's seen. And they do this close up on him. So now you can tell like the mustache is mm-hmm. not as beautiful as it once was. Right. Um, and everyone laughs. I'm like, yeah, like it's a thing, but like chill the fuck out. Like kids are dying. Right. <laughs> this is serious. So um they're just saying but- that they've got to get all their kids. Um, so every all the counselors and everybody have spread out. Ronnie and Susie are together and they're like going toward the beach to look for anybody who's left and they kind of hear some humming and And it's kind of dark at this point too like it's gotten a little bit darker it's nighttime now yeah it's night night every everybody's been killed at night but it's like even darker because it's like by the water and there's just not like the building lights and stuff they hear the humming and Susie kind of like leads ronnie down and they see like a kid's back like a naked back and then like shapes they don't really know what's going on and then, like, the, I guess they can, like, see the face or something. And they're like, Angela? And then it just cuts to a flashback of a kid with, like, a big head bandage on. And Aunt Martha talking about how she's so excited to have a little girl in the house. She always wanted a little girl. And she's like, we already have a boy, assuming Ricky. 
Like, huh. no, another boy wouldn't do. I'm so excited to have a little girl and you'll be so excited too, won't you, Peter? And then like the little kid's head lifts up and then it just cuts right to present day Angela standing up, making like this quote unquote iconic face of like jaw dropped, like a little like hissing, growling, screamy sound. Yeah, and it was kind of creepy. Like that part actually, like the sound that came out, I was like, oh. That, that that's creepy it it is and it's very unsettling and ronnie and Susie are just looking and they're like she's a boy and then we go to like a full body shot and it's a man's body angela's face and then we cut back to like a close-up of just the face and then like the screen turns like green and then the credits start rolling yeah so there are a lot of thoughts that I have about this movie in general. I would love to hear yours since you have only just seen it for the first time. I really didn't know what to expect because you didn't tell me anything about it. I uh, couldn't. But it I I did I started out, the voices bothered me because I was like, ugh, the 80s in New York. But I really got into it after a while trying to like, who the fuck is doing this? Like, is it Angela? Is it Ricky? Um, and then like, are they working together? Because when Angela was um after i think it was after meg had died she's like where's ricky or it was even before and i thought they were gonna like team up to go kill judy or meg or somebody the twist at the end you don't you don't there's not a lot of movies that you can't like guess what it is didn't even didn't even come close to guessing that how do you feel about it in the terms of so from what I've heard from a lot of people, or, or just like opinions, I guess, is that this is like the horror genre degrading trans people, I, or like it's a bad the, representation. And well, I would love to hear what you, what your thoughts are. I, and I wondered that, like how trans people would feel about it, because it kind of makes... Angela out to be the aggressor and like at the end you know because she's murdered all of these people but I don't view Angela as like truly like trans because she didn't choose this she was forced into this you know role of being a woman that she never wanted to be and so she's traumatized like for me it's not a trans person is a traumatized person like it's not so I could see like people being like oh this makes like people afraid of trans people or something like that like oh you don't want you know somebody with a penis in the women's bathroom because it's dangerous it's not because like I guarantee you the people that are dangerous are the ones who are afraid of the trans people the ones who are policing yeah the ones who are like checking but awful yeah and i i agree i I absolutely agree with all of your points and that's that's how i felt because um i mean like if i haven't seen a movie i don't really like look up stuff about it because i Mm -hmm. don't want spoilers or anything so i went into this completely blind i did not expect the end and i feel like because the end is so kind of intense like it, it was more interesting to me and made me like want to rewatch it and be like, wait, wait, how did I miss this? Yeah, there are miss this? there are some tiny little hints to um, Angela being the killer. Some stuff right. that we've mentioned. I you can kind of you can f- make the argument now that you know that Angela is Peter about like Angela not being touched. Angela doesn't want to go in the water. Angela doesn't want to shower with everybody, right? Because of the physicality that's different. Um, so I think I mean for the movie part, like that's all fine i agree i do not think that this movie paints 
trans people in any kind of light. I don't, I don't understand that argument because I feel like if that's your argument, you didn't watch the movie. Yeah, if anybody is the true, like, villain is Amartha. Yeah. And Meg. Well, yeah. And Judy. Like, like, it's, the, it's, the real, the it's like the movie villain, the real villain. That right. would be a good, like, post be like, Judy and Meg, yeah. Aunt Martha. Because... <laughs> When we were introduced to Aunt Martha, and, like, she's crazy pants. Right. But the way that she comes off, it's just, like, oh, she's just, like, the crazy lady. When She's quirky. She's... And and that's also the thing. And, and this can happen in several different ways other than just this particular example. But I don't think that Aunt Martha thinks that she's crazy. I think she just saw a way to... She wanted a daughter. Get her little girl. Now she's her got husband a daughter. Left. And it's just, like... Now, we know from the very, very beginning that Ricky was with his dad, like, the day of the accident. So, like, there's some, like, family issues, like, where Martha and her husband are divorced or, like, baby daddy situation, whatever. So there's, you know, some kind of trauma. We don't know anything else about Aunt Martha. She's a doctor. We don't even know what kind of doctor. Um, Is she just, like... (laughs) Is she a dentist? Right. I was just, like, it's, like, when people who are dentists say that they're doctors and people are like you're not a doctor they're like i went to medical school i'm like you're a doctor you're just like a mouth doctor so but that's like the thing like we don't know anything about her we don't have any other motivation to why she's done this other than the fact that she just wanted to have a boy and a girl i mean maybe if john like is her brother like maybe she was jealous that he had a boy and a girl we don't know anything about that yeah and Um, we also don't know anything about like how she was brought up how she was taught like how Angela was treated from day one to this and you know what her triggers could be on certain things and like the things that Aunt Martha may have said that try to like basically brainwash her into Mm -hmm. being her little girl yeah so it's just abuse 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 even if if it's not perceived abuse it is abuse if anything what this movie I guess is proving is if you force people to be something that they authentically are not that it can lead to consequences of yeah i guess not genocide i don't know just genocide count mass murder yeah murder suicide all the different kinds of things like if you force people to be something that they are not bad things happen basically Mm -hmm. and that's what happened yeah and i agree and like and i think that that kind of keeps the movie like a fun light so to speak watch i mean it's a slasher film right um it definitely has in my mind more like depth and layers versus like friday the 13th and halloween because those movies all came out Mm -hmm. like you know within like five years of each other so like the summer camp slasher and stuff like that like was very prominent in this time of movies being released i think like i would rather watch sleepaway camp than friday the 13th or halloween like halloween is really good but sleepaway camp i think is more entertaining and enjoyable and i enjoy the characters much more i think for me if like if i'm watching a movie i want to feel something or think about something if a movie can't make me feel something like i don't feel scared watching friday the 13th or halloween because you know they're classic horror movies like you can expect what's going to happen but with sleepaway camp you're more inclined to be thinking what is happening this whole time and be a little bit more engaged thoughtfully Mm -hmm. well like in friday the 13th you know it's just 
a string of murders happening and Mm -hmm. most of the time like there are people that are I mean and it happens all in one day basically but you know they're off on their own anyway so it takes until almost the end for people to even be looking for each other to wonder what's going on it's just a series of events and then you know out of the blue we get like the reveal of what's going on and with Halloween we know Michael Myers breaks out of the prison in the beginning and that he's going home so there's less mystery to me absolutely classics and wonderful in their own right I out of the three I would just rather watch Sleepaway Camp the sequel personality yeah that's good the sequel so Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 are very very different um they continue the story with Angela Baker I won't do you want me to even spoil it for you do we want to even deal with that on the podcast I don't want to spoil it because I want to watch it okay they're good they're just absolutely different I like they're not horror movies anymore they're slashers like like um so they're very different so you can go into it with that um and then there's sleepaway camp 4 return to sleepaway camp i have not seen that it's not on anything so i would have to like find a website versus like Mm -hmm. watching it on like freebie or something yeah um i did just see something that um jonathan tierston who plays ricky is in that so i don't know if there's anyone else in that so that's probably like like the requel thing right where they've the like, older versions i don't know the... if it's going to have anything to do with the events of what happened in sleepaway camp two and three or if it's going right. to basically be like from sleepaway camp one to sleepaway camp four yeah but i'm interested in watching it I, okay. I would be curious to see do you see why i recommended this as our pride month episode uh yeah shocking turn of events but yes i at first i was like oh because the dads are gay but then i was like oh now i understand it is a little bit more um but it was a good good choice yeah oh (laughs) our talking points and topics this one thing i did can't believe i didn't mention this this whole time so i just as like a fun little thing i i watched this movie like three times for the podcast i watched it in the theaters because they did the event um and then i like rewatched it to take all my notes and then i felt like i was like typing out all my notes and everything in my thoughts and opinions so I feel like I wasn't actually watching the movie and paying attention mm-hmm. so I, then I went back and watched it a third time just to like be like hee 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 I'm enjoying it um and something that I had thought about while I was watching it the other two times was like how many times does Judy sigh during this movie <laughs> uh because she does like her little mean girl thing and then she's like I have to do the sigh again yeah, do the side, but don't go too high pitch. Maybe it'll register it. Okay, well, I'm pretending to be like a 14 year old girl. My voice goes high. Sorry. She just goes like, uh-huh, uh, and like <laughs> her little thing. And that's what I was like watching the third time. So it's like she doesn't do it at all. Like in the first half hour of the movie, the movie is like a solid 90 minutes, like right around there. So a third of the movie is over before she even starts her little nonsense. And then I. I counted for sure 11 sighs and then she dies I think maybe with like 10 15 minutes left of the movie maybe closer to 10 probably Mm -hmm. because the last um from the point of I mean definitely the point of where the counts Ronnie says like what counselors have like the night off and then like saying that they're gonna take the little kids camping like the rest of the movie is like boom 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 done like it's like almost over so they're doing a bunch of stuff at the last like 10-15 minutes so say that there's mm, 30 plus 40 is 70 so say that there's like approximately 40 minutes of this movie available for judy to sigh like 
crazy. She sighs 11 times. <laughs> I think That's a lot. I think there might be a 12th time, but when I was like watching it, I couldn't like verify for sure. And I was trying to watch it uh-huh. like on my lunch break. So I was like fast forwarding through scenes that Judy wasn't in to be like, yeah, how many times does this girl sigh? So that's just like our fun little note. I think Sleepaway Camp is a very heavy movie at times with the themes and like the think pieces about it. I don't think the actual movie is heavy, but just the connotations of things. And that's why I felt it was important to do it during Pride Month. Um, trans people exist. They're not going anywhere. Um, we need to tra- protect them and actually be kind. So that was my little message about why I would choose that movie to put it in here. Because also I think Sleepaway Camp gets a bad rap for the representation that I don't even believe is the representation of the plot. So yeah, that's my soapbox. That's why I wanted to highlight it and point out that trans people are just people and assholes stop being assholes. The end. I concur. Anything else you want to say? Uh, the only other thing I was going to say, and I'll probably take this out, but it was like during work, when I go into the office, sometimes I count how many times Sheila sighs because I always have, she sighs really loud and I go, what's wrong? And then she has to tell me about it every time. So it's at least seven times a day. So she may be Judy. <laughs> just older. <laughs> um but no I think I could see how people could take this movie the wrong way and see how it kind of paints trans people in a bad light but I don't think that was the intention and I don't think that's what happened but I think when people try to you know they try to like create a boogeyman and villainize people and like create fear that's what kills people is fear Mm -hmm. and so there's literally no reason to be afraid of trans people or drag queens or gay people in general. I mean, I'm very scary, but I think that's just my attitude. People say that I'm intimidating. I think you're just tall. It could be. I also have RBF sometimes, so we could do it. But yeah, that's the whole point. Um, I personally, if anybody, <laughs> if anybody listens to us at all, for starters, but if anybody, you know, has listened to this and has questions or thoughts about you know, the trans quote unquote representation um, from sleepaway camp or any questions or just want a safe space, I will always listen and be an ally. Um, I mean, I'm part of the LGBTQ, but I'm just the B. And so I got to protect my T. So I'm here um, and I will always fight. So that's how I feel about it. Just to put like a, a safe place if, if anybody who listens to this has any problems with trans people then they can catch these hands the end <laughs> thank you guys for listening we hope that you enjoyed our episode and we look forward to hearing from you find us on twitter or instagram to request a movie or even just to discuss your thoughts at booze and boobs or send us an email booze and boobs at gmail.com Yeah, and we're working on turning this into a thing. So if you can please follow us on Patreon, our account there is Booze and Boobs also. And what are some of the benefits to joining our Patreon? Oh, Katrina, I am so glad that you asked. As a patron, you will get early release episodes, bloopers, uh, mini episodes where we showcase uh, scenes from the movies that we're talking about or just conversations that we're having that we had to cut from our recording. All that and more. And they're fun tears.
You can be an A cup, a C cup, or you can join the Triple D Plus group like us. We truly appreciate your support and we look forward to growing our following to create more content for listeners like you. So we'll see you next time or else. Yeah, let's end it with a threat. Mm -hmm.